Welcome to the VVV Podcast. Today, we are very pleased to welcome Tristan Lita, Nilion's Head of Crypto, and Miguel de Vega, Nilion's Chief Scientist. Nilion is a new type of storage and computing network that can fundamentally change the way blockchains, governments, consumers and institutions store, authenticate and work with data. What makes Nilion unique is that its network of nodes do not run immutable ledgers and its nodes do not have to communicate with each other. Nilion will act as a public utility, providing fast, secure, private chain and fully decentralized processing with the objective of both enhancing existing blockchains and offering native network services with unique properties. Nilion is not an L1 and does not compete with L1s. Instead, Nilion will be able to complement and enhance existing L1s by offering them private storage, transfer, computation and processing of decentralized data. One or two minutes before we get started. So we have the entire audience listening and ready and then we're going to get going. And while you guys are joining and waiting, please make sure to leave a retweet and a like for this event. This is something which we have been all waiting for for quite some time. And I'm sure this is going to be one of our best AMAs yet. And I'm very, very much looking forward to getting this started. And I'm also going to quickly retweet this from my private account. And then we're good to go. Hello, guys. Who is it uh, who, is, who I'm talking to right now? Hey, how's it going? This is Hi. Tristan. Uh, Miguel's also in here. I think uh, you have to pull him up as a speaker. He's on his personal account. Oh, oh yeah, I can see him. Perfect. Okay, uh, Miguel, you should see uh, a request that I have invited you to speak. And if you can manage to accept that, then it should be working. Cool. All right. In the meantime, uh, Tristan, if you want to go ahead and give a brief intro of yourself and your position at Nilian. Uh, I would be very appreciative. Yeah. So, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Tristan. I'm the director of crypto for Nilian. That's crypto as in tokens and game theoretic incentives and stuff, not crypto as in um, hiding secrets and, and mathy things. Uh, my background is technical as an engineer. But uh, I've been in crypto for a long time, since like 2012, uh, you know, traded through 2017, and uh, finally left my job outside of crypto at the beginning of DeFi summer and really cut my teeth on chain and started participating in a lot of DAOs. And then um, through that, managed to have a lot of very interesting opportunities. But the, a little over a year ago, I met uh, our 
chief strategy officer, Andrew Misanto, and he introduced me to Miguel and to the whole team and to what Nillian was building. And it sounded too good to be true, but I guess it wasn't because here I am. And what is what you exactly do on a day-to-day -day basis, Tristan? Sure, yeah. So uh, director of crypto is kind of like a, a meaningless term, I guess. It's, it's a new job. Um, I manage, or me and my team work on the token economy, the kind of uh, modeling and simulating the token engineering aspects of, of how value will flow inside of the ecosystem, and then also designing governance mechanisms and uh, what we call the policing policy. So that's things that are more, you know, adjacent to, to what people know in blockchain as faking and slashing, but with a lot of other mechanisms involved to, to kind of make make sure that the network is maintaining the highest security standards. Okay, perfect. And do you have any means to ping uh, Miguel directly, maybe? Um, because I, uh, he should have seen, or he should see uh, an invitation to speak, but I'm not sure if there's any technical issues. Yeah, he says he hasn't received it, so I'll ask him to uh, yeah. leave and come back. No, so he should also be able to request um, permissions to speak yeah, I will uh, let him know. That's in the bottom left, I believe. Perfect, thank you. But yeah, I'm really excited to um, to get into kind of what we're building and, and appreciative to, to have the opportunity. Oh yeah, I mean, we are super, super curious, <laughs> trust me. Um, maybe you can uh, briefly go over where you meet the team, how you guys actually ended up uh, assembling yourselves. Yeah, so I mean, I, I came in uh, a little bit on the tail end of once the kind of first level of the Avengers had, had been pulled together. Um, but the original story, I think, is more Miguel's to tell, um, which is, uh, involves kind of all of our co-founders and uh, Miguel first meeting Andrew Misanto, who, who I was just refer referencing, who's another important part of the team um, a long time ago, I think. Um, you know, five, six years ago, uh, in reference to zero knowledge proof work, actually. So adjacent to, but not actually the same kind of thing, the same kind of technology that um, Nillian is built on. Very interesting. Thank you. And what motivates you personally to be involved with Nillian? Or maybe the better question is why Nillian? Uh, you know, if you're qualified to do anything, then why would you pick specifically this project to work on? I think, uh, you know, it's a good question. I think that uh, a lot of it is I, I'm particularly interested in privacy enhancing technology, privacy preserving technologies. So kind of this whole space that Nillian and other, you know, ZK, MPC, really homomorphic encryption, this whole space is uh, a wave that I don't see not impacting the world in meaningful ways um, as we move forward. And I think Nillian, you know, the tech that Miguel has come up with is is uh, a fundamentally different way of looking at it that, that is super interesting. So I, I would say that that's the biggest reason that Nillian, you know, stands out to me above a lot of the other Web3 projects I've, I've worked with and consulted with in the past. Thank you. And I can see Miguel has joined us. Yeah, hello. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you well. Great. Thank you. 
All right. Do you want to get started with a brief intro as well? Sure. So I'm the chief scientific officer. So my um, day to day is actually uh, about creating the maths and making sure that uh, they're properly implemented and then interfacing with um, product as well. So both platform and product. My background is um, engineering, uh, so it's technical. I did seven years of engineering studies, and then um, I started working um, for some of the largest IT companies back in 2000, so Siemens and Nokia, in problems related with um, mathematics and the intersection with technology, essentially. Then I did a PhD in maths, where I modeled kind of the back end of the internet um, and during three years, um, I think I did like 27 patents. It was a very intensive period. And then I shifted more to computer science type of things. So machine learning and eventually in 2013, I met uh, Rob Leslie um, at Sedici and got in touch with uh, cryptography. So with zero knowledge proofs. And I worked on them for, for a long time, um, essentially in connection with authentication, identity verification. But at some point, um, um, we required um, doing more than just verifying stuff, uh, proving stuff to others. Um, we, we needed to actually perform computations. And that's where we started working with secure multi-party computation. Um, in 2017, I met Andrew Masanto, who's, who's been transformational. I think in, in all of our lives um, related to a project with zero knowledge proof. But then in, in 2021, recently, when we came up with uh, NMC and, and kind of the way to get around the heavy communication that SMPC typically uh, engages in, um, we kind of um, presented that to, to him and his team. Um, and that was the start of Nilia in 2021. And what makes, because you both mentioned uh, the name of Andrew Masanto, right? What makes him such a good leader? What makes, you know, what, what made you guys join him and buy into the vision Nillian has? So essentially, Andrew Masanto is, is one of these persons who, who is unique. I mean, not only has he built businesses around, um, you know, selling stuff um, on, on Facebook and building communities, but he's also been um, co-founder at Hedera Hashgraph and founded a, a couple more unicorns in the crypto space. He's got a tremendous expertise in community building and has a sense for, you know, for markets and, and what when is really the time to, to get into a market. For instance, when I, I reached out to him with Rob Leslie back in 2017 with a project about a faster way to perform um, privacy, you know, to, to implement a privacy coin like Zcash or Monero. Um, he looked at it and said, oh, all right, the, the, the technology kind of makes sense, but it's not the right moment. It's not the time. The market is not there. Um, and that changes, changed when we, when we pitched um, NMC. Um, so we fully trust uh, his instincts. His, they, they have been proven to be correct more than once. And yeah, we're really glad to, to have met him. Plus, he knows a lot of People, so he's brought in great, great names. Um, you know, we have, for instance, Conrad Whelan, employee number two and founder engineer at Uber. We have um, Slava Rubin, founder of Indiegogo, Mark Dermond, head of Crypto at Nike, um, and then you know many, many crypto experts like Andre Lapetz, board member of MPC Alliance, and Stanislav Charensky, who's renowned cryptographer from UCLA. So. 
he really makes is is the one who makes the magic happen. Yeah, I mean, you guys have done an absolutely tremendous job in attracting the right talent. And every subsequent news article you guys publish is, is always mind blowing because you're, you're really like attracting the, the the absolute best of the best. So let's jump into what Nillian itself actually means, what it does, and what it potentially holds for the future of blockchain and you know potentially even humanity in, in itself. So what are the primary pro problems Nillian solves and the subsequent use cases? Sure. Yeah, I can speak to that a little bit. I would say that the the primary problems Nillian solves are around security. Uh, fundamentally, there, you know, there are holes in the way that Web3 and even, you know, us in general on the internet handle security. And we believe that the, the next wave of these privacy enhancing technologies will really open up what people can do with data, but also, you know, the ways that they can store data more secure, securely. And we believe that because the, the kind of go-to operating model right now for storing things is that, you know, you have to store it and you can store it as securely as you do, which is to say, hopefully very, but often not very. Um, and then if you need to use it, you kind of, you know, unlock it, you, you hide it underneath your hand while you look at it, like, like, you know, a set of poker cards and you use it and then you put it back and lock it back in a box. And with these privacy enhancing technologies and with, with what NMC allows, you essentially get to store in, in an information theoretic secure way. So that's to say like, in a in a way that is uh, more secure than standard, you know, computational encryption, encryption that's based off of how hard a math problem is. And you get to use that data while it's still hidden and, and never, uh, never do you have to like take it out of that box in this, uh, in this metaphor. And what that allows for kind of the problem that that solves for is unlocking all of this very sensitive data. Um, you, I mean, and name any field where, you know, there are secrets that are hidden that, that people can't use because of, of redlining regulation, whatever it is, and being able to actually provably mathematically you know you you can't um do bad things with that data but you can do the things that will be helpful to humanity helpful um to your business with that data because it's it's you know still maintaining its security that's like kind of the primary um use case that we're, we're looking to tackle thank you very much tristan and before we continue Guys, everyone listening, we have almost 200 people listening in live, but we only have 64 retweets. So please, if you haven't done so, please leave a retweet for our guests, show some appreciation if you likes, and then we can dive right into the next question. And as some context to, to the questions themselves, they all come from either the team directly or from our community. So I'm just reiterating all the questions and I'm the one sounding smart, but it's actually the, the team and the community where the real brain power lies. So this one is for Miguel. And the question is, NMC is your brainchild. And I have to wonder if this outstanding solution was always intended to be used with blockchain technology or if other use cases were the primary focus before meeting up with the Nillian team. 
That's a very good question. And the answer is no. Actually, originally it was developed to solve a different problem, that of collaboration between large companies. So we were uh, planning on using it in the context of anti-money laundering with banks. So when banks, uh, you, you send money from a bank to another bank, they are bound by different regulations like um, privacy regulations or, or GDPR, which prevents them from exchanging information about the sender and the recipient. But that is actually good in terms of privacy, but it's bad in terms of um, catching the bad guys and illicit money flows, because then it means that essentially the banks have only partial knowledge of what's going on in the transaction. And because NMC is ITS, it could present itself as a solution to that problem because the banks are not actually sending any information, but they, they are actually able to engage in a joint computation to assess the risk of a transaction. So initially, the, the idea was B2B, uh, completely different um, from, from the decentralized world. But when we met with Andrew Masanto, with Alex Page and Andrew Yo, they kind of opened our eyes to the possibilities of decentralization and what this could become, which is a public utility. It's a much broader vision, much more ambitious and, and powerful, I think. Thank you very much. And the next question is, what was the major innovation or insight that allowed your team to take secure multi-party computation, SMPC, and transform it into nil message compute, NMC? Can you explain that transformation and development process? Yes, sure. I think it's um, an example of divide and conquer. So usually with SMPC, you're making use of one cryptographic primitive and you're tasking this primitive with many things. You want it to be correct so that the nodes come up with the right result in the end, but you want it also to be secure and ideally ITS secure, so not relying on any cryptographic assumptions. And you want it also to be fast. Um, so typically, a linear secret sharing is, is the primitive that many SMPC protocols make use of. And it actually does all of the, all of those three things, but it kind of doesn't work that, that good with the speed because it does require a lot of communication in order for a computation to take place. So it's, it's a little bit of a compromise on the speed in favor of the other two of correctness and security. So what we did um, is to think in terms of actually combining two different primitives. One is secure uh, linear secret sharing, which is Shamir's uh, secret sharing, for example. And another one is a new primitive that has homomorphic encryption properties. And we tailored that second primitive that we call OTM, it stands for uh, one-time masking. Um, we tailored it to perform multiplications or products of secrets very efficiently. And so it is in the combination of the two that we were able to find a different trade-off between those three things. So we took correctness, um, we took security from both, so both are ITS. We took the ability to work in a decentralized environment from linear secret sharing, because it does have error correction and a number of properties which are very interesting uh, to build a decentralized network. But then we took the correctness and the, the speed from NMC, from, from OTM, from this primitive. And in combining the two of them, we were able to hit this different um, point in the trade-off space. Thank you, Miguel. There's a common notion that centralized computational cloud computing or similar technologies will be necessary to support the metaverse and Web3 in the future. 
how does Nillian's technology position it to fill that role and to allow Web3 to scale in a safe and decentralized fashion? Yeah, so I can take this one. I think, um, I mean, I think that the, the reason that notion is so common is, is probably just because that's that's the way it is today, right? So whatever integration of the metaverse we have today, I mean, granted that that word has a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people, but let's, you know, limit it to, for example, blockchain gaming. Um, most of it is, is, is still reliant heavily on server-side compute on, you know, centralized, standard, old-style servers. And the, the reason for that primarily is that blockchains were just never really made for compute. I mean, if you think about the original blockchain uh, kind of uh, moment, like the moment that it came to be, not the academic moment, it's been around for a while, but it was, you know, the recently uh, birthday of, the, the Bitcoin white paper, right? But Bitcoin was about solving double spend. It was about solving for a ledger to be able to send payments around. And then when Ethereum came along and kind of appended this compute layer onto it, it was genius and opened up a lot of, of very, very interesting use cases and kind of the composability and the, the you know, money Legos and all of the different pieces that, that exist today on chain. But, um, the throughput was still kind of limited by the original design of the blockchain, which is to say that everything is being replicated on all of these machines, you know, with some wiggle room there of different types of, of scaling solutions, um, sharding, whatever. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of, uh, of repeated work happening that, that means that horizontal scaling um, just isn't really in the cards for it. And, and what we see as a big difference for um, NMC and what Nillion is building and that allows it to fill some of that role of those centralized um, servers is it allows for more horizontal scalability because we don't care about value, which means that we don't care, or sorry, we only care about value. We don't care about order. Um, so, so our network doesn't care about the order of transactions, which means that not everything in the network needs to run, you know, every single transaction because it doesn't matter if, if one of them has that data or doesn't have that data. Um, we're not guaranteeing you that at the end of the day. And that unlock, kind of that trade-off space that you you gain against blockchain or maybe work with blockchain, kind of, it allows you to work alongside it very effectively to fulfill roles in the computation stack that blockchains maybe just aren't as well prepared to, to do. Thank you. And what about other solutions like Arweave and Filecoin? Is Nillion still ahead of them? Or how do you see you know, those potential competitors? I, I don't really see Arweave or Filecoin as competitors. I think they're both you know, super, super interesting projects um, and have their, their space. I mean, you know, the PermaWeb is kind of a cool and pretty revolutionary idea. And IPFS as a piece of technology that not exactly tied to Filecoin, but is, is you know, something we we look at and see a lot of use for we think nillion is is really about you know just as much the compute as it is the storage like yes we can prov provide extremely secure storage um you know more se secure than either of those two solutions because right now to to use those to use private data on those you're just storing storing encrypted versions of your data right and with nillion you know you're getting information theoretic security 
And more importantly, you're getting the ability to use it in that encrypted form, which is just something that neither Arweave nor Filecoin are, are, you know, at least at this stage, trying to do. So I, I wouldn't say that they're a real competitor because I think that the value prop, the unique value proposition that Nillion is bringing to the table is not about the storage. Uh, and if you what you want is, you know, public file storage to make sure that something is interplanetarily, you know, stored as a file, then using IPFS makes sense. But um, if you want to use that data, and, and especially if you want to, you know, play with anything that is to say, you know, private user accounts, uh, sensitive information, all of that stuff, uh, it's, a, it's a different tool in the stack. And what about the regulations with something like GDPR? Is Nillion like either even capable or, you know, able to provide the, that private data if the authorities come knocking, either for legal reasons or for tax-related purposes? So, I'll go ahead and go. Okay, thank you. Yeah, um, so I think we have to make a distinction between um, GDPR and other regulations. So Nillion has a, or will have a built-in authentication and an account system. And, and because of that, um, Nillion will have to provide um, support to different data protection regulations, including GDPR. So right to portability, to be forgotten, rectification, essentially all benefits to, to the user because it, it gives them power and empowers them to, to control their, their information. Now, that is the, the core infrastructure, but on top of that infrastructure, uh, different developers will, will be able to develop different products. For example, the maybe the AML product I was talking about before, the anti-money laundering. And if you wanna launch that product, then you will have to comply with AML directive number four, five or four or whatever. And that will require in that case, to comply to auditing requirements. So if you have that solution and an auditor comes, you have to render some information. And that is something that the developer of that application on top of Nillion will have to support. So it's, it's not something that kind of, it's not a primitive that Nillion provides this auditing, but it's something that with the low level, lower level primitives that Nillion provides, you will be able to implement and to satisfy different regulations. So whether it be health regulations or anti-money laundering or whatever because um, we cannot you know, foreseeably uh, conceive all possible mechanisms to comply with all possible regulations on the market. So we have to take this approach where we take the basic regulation compliance, which is that pertaining to data protection, and we leave to the different products um, to the, you know, the task to comply with the corresponding regulations in the domain they operate in. To give a, to give a metaphor that you know, we in crypto might be more familiar with, it's like, looking at smart contracts, right? There's some there's some methods in a smart contract that you're allowed to call as just a, you know any wallet. And then, then there are some that are kind of only owner where the, the person who created an NFT collection is the one that sets the metadata or whatever. And at the end of the day, it's not uh, Ethereum that is deciding whether, you know, you as an individual user can interact and set the metadata of this NFT. It's, it's whoever created, you know, that smart contract. And that's how we see it as well. So it's not on us to decide you know, can we access the underlying data? The underlying data is secured by the cryptography of the network. It's about, you know, that authentication and authorization layer of, of whoever is putting that data up and whatever product is building on us to make that decision. Would you put 
certain mechanisms in place to prevent something like tornado cash being built on Nillion, for example? Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, we are, uh, you know, a software platform, and I, I don't really think there is many mechanisms in place. It kind of goes against the, the map itself. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we are creating cryptography, and there's there's no real um, way for uh, if there was a way for us to like see what people were doing um, underneath it all. If, if there was a way for the nodes to to kind of censor that and police that, then, you know, that would mean that there's something fundamentally wrong with um, the, the math that we're using because it's not providing the privacy that we uh, were building into it. Yes, understood. Thank you. The next question is, most L1 blockchains claim to have solved the blockchain dilemma, security, scalability, and decentralization. Are you making those claims as well? If so, how will Nillion improve upon or solve it? Uh, that's a tricky one. Um, to begin with, because we are not an L1, so we're not we're not a blockchain, so we cannot be kind of put in the, in the same category. But if we compare ourselves to SMPC, I, I think we have a we are in a special um, trade-off position in in that space between security, scalability, and decentralization. So we have the security from the best SMPC solutions, which is ITS. Uh, we also support uh, Byzantine fault tolerance. Um, so essentially, we're able to operate in an environment where some nodes can be bad actors and can deviate from the protocol in an arbitrary way. Um, regarding scalability, I think that's kind of the, the perhaps the, the trademark is that we have very low end-to-end -end communication if, we, if you consider the whole protocol, so including the pre-processing phase. Um, it's a very fast solution and scalable because there's a very little communication taking place. And if you think about the, the decentralization, we have an asynchronous solution. Most SMPC solutions are synchronous, but our online phase, the one that takes care of the computations, is asynchronous. And as any SMPC, we provide a fast consensus. Um, in, the, in our case, is um, achieved through the error correction codes. Um, so that's, kind of some, that's very interesting to consider in comparison with a blockchain. So a blockchain would get consensus on the value and the order of transactions. We don't have transactions. So what we get is consensus on the value of on the output from a computation, not the order. But in exchange for that kind of concession, because we don't get a consensus on order, we do get a form of consensus that is very fast because it does not require the nodes to exchange messages. It's something that you run locally in your machine, which is, is an error correction um, code that you run locally and reconstructs the outputs from, from a computation. Um, so, yeah, as I said before, I, I think it's, it's an interesting trade-off that we're hitting because it's, I believe, um, one of the, the few, if not the only SMPC network that can um, uh, have the ambition of becoming a truly decentralized network with a large number of nodes operating in realistic scenarios with asynchronous communications and um, bad actors. Perfect. Thank you. How is Nillian addressing the problem of key management and private keys for non-custodial di digital wallets such as MetaMask? Um, that's a good question. So MPC, the secure multi-party computation, is already being used as kind of a best-in-class approach 
to key management and you can look at kind of these institutional grade companies like Fireblocks, uh, you know, or Coinbase has their own MPC department now. And we think NMC, you know, can do all that and, and, you know, potentially more, especially when it comes to a lot of uh, policy stuff. So we do foresee uh, a product being built on us that, that is addressing a lot of these problems, you know, and democratizing the access to that kind of security and that kind of, and th that kind of feature set that exists right now only mostly at the institutional level, kind of a fireblocks for everyone, you could say. Um, and, and the way that you do that is, is very similarly to, to how it's already being used in the market today, which is quite why it's kind of an obvious use case um, to be built out, you know. Uh, it's already working with, you know, what we consider to be kind of legacy SMPC. So it can only be better with NMC. Thank you. Does Nillion currently exist solely as a theoretical model, or do we have started working on an MVP, uh, minimum viable product? Do you have a goal set for when you will have the product ready or for testnet, for example? Oh. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, actually, it's not it is not only a theoretical model. So the the journey, of course, started there with with the maths, uh, then being audited by by Royal Royal Holloway University, um, and then eventually by other people, other cryptographers. But no, now they are real. It's a reality. So it's implemented in a DevNet with real nodes uh, running in in Rust code. Um, the online protocol. We are finishing now the pre-processing protocol, which is the part that produces the randomness necessary for, for the computations to take place. Uh, we're about to, to finish that uh, this month. And then um, in Q4, what we're going to do is um, actually start um, delivering a first end-to-end -end showcase. Because what I've just described, the online and pre-processing phase, phases, that that is kind of the MVP for the, for the infrastructure. So the next step is to build some showcases on top of that infrastructure. And that first use case or, or showcase will be, uh, it's gonna be called NIL transfer. Um, we're aiming it, uh, you know, aiming for it in Q4. And then um, in um, 2023, Q3 essentially, and Q4, uh, we will launch other showcases um, with what we call funding entrepreneurs. So those are people who are close to the organization. They have been really interested in the project from the beginning. They bring their own expertise in other domains like identity and, and machine learning and other spaces. And they're really interesting, uh, interested in becoming the first ones to develop uh, solutions on top of Neelion infrastructure. So um, that is the time when we will start seeing that kind of, of, of showcases, the second half of 2023. And to add, to add a little bit of color onto that, I just want to do a quick little shill, a quick little plug here. If you were working on something, you know, any of you guys listening, uh, that you think could could really use the the tech that Nillion has? Um, I recommend you know joining the community and getting in touch because we're you know we're talking to lots and lots of potential founding entrepreneurs um, every day, and and there are people who are building a lot of exciting things, and and you know we'd love to hear how you'd want to use the network, and, and you could help even potentially shape the future of of kind of our roadmap. Are there any specific niches where you think there might be the most early adoption of your technology? Um, I mean, I think, you know, we're kind of splitting it out into, 
Web 2 and Web 3, that's something we haven't talked about uh, 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 that much yet, which is that both in how we've set up the team and in how we set up kind of the incentive mechanisms and and the kinds of use cases we're looking at, we we really see Million as, as a protocol that is trying to be a, a touch point in between Web 2 and Web 3, which is to say, you know, we are fundamentally a crypto native Web 3 protocol or, you know, whatever you want to call it, crypto protocol. Um, and, and we're built as a public utility, a decentralized network. But a lot of the use cases are not only in, in crypto. Like there's a lot of interesting use cases uh, looking at, you know, we're talking to FEs who are in the, the medicine field. Um, as Miguel mentioned, kind of identity is a big one that people find very interesting. Um, we're talking to people who are working with uh, user data, so user analytics for, for things more on, you know, consumer consumer marketing, consumer relations, stuff like that. Um, and then even some, some you know, conversations uh, that are more B2G. So I think that there's not a single... Uh, a single field where it's just like, oh, we want to hear from you specifically. It's more like, you know, we've built this really cool tech and it solves a lot of problems for a lot of people. But like, if you feel like you have a, a burning problem that it solves for your business, you know, we want to hear that. Thank you very much. How do you plan to attract and incentivize those developers to learn NADA and transition into this new ecosystem? So, uh, Nada, Nada being uh, the sorry uh, native language of MPC for our uh, what we call MPPs, multi-party programs, uh, isn't really necessarily a language that we see uh, being like a, a primary language that people are really flocking to learn. Uh, we're not trying to build out a, a community of of you know hardcore Nada developers. At the end of the day, once we have that compiler working, we kind of want it to be as easy for people to, to bring their own ideas, bring their own logic from other places and foresee it being kind of a transpilation target from other languages people are more familiar with. So if somebody wants to make a private smart contract on the Nillion network, maybe you know we'll have a transpiler from Solidity or, or something else in the, in the EVM network. Um, and so it, it's less about trying to convince people to come and learn Nada. I think people will do it because if you want to squeeze out performance uh, and you want to like kind of really understand how everything works, that's the best way to learn it. And, and there's always going to be a subset of people. Uh, you see it right now with the, the wide variety of ZK languages uh, who, are, who are going to learn that. But, you know, we want to make it as easy as possible for anyone to come and uh, bring their ideas uh, and get the security and services that Nillion offers. And how specifically do you envision building a strong and resilient community to support Nillion creatively and then also supporting the Nillion network of nodes? Yeah, so I mean, I think that there is kind of, it's a, I believe our go-to-market approach is up to, you know, seven layered, nine layered, who, who knows how many layers uh, the they're working through now in ops, but uh, there's a lot of different facets and ways to attack this. I think from a developer perspective, how do we get them on board? I actually think that's one of the easier ones to sell compared to if we were starting uh, you know, a blockchain, if we were starting a layer one. I think um, one of the big and, and cool things about what we're doing is that fundamentally it's, it's a different type of network. That's why when people come in, you know, as they often do into our community and ask, 
is this, you know, hey, is this a blockchain? Is this like a layer one? Is this a layer two? We kind of have to step back and say, this isn't really the right operating model. This is like a new piece of the decentralized computation stack because, um, you know, we're not, uh, you know, people may come and want to try to build this stuff on us, but, you know, we're not going to be uh, uh, a network where you bridge in and you have, you know, your own native DEX and you have your own native lending protocol and all these other things. Like our unique value proposition is about um, a, a pretty different sphere and, and, and is creating uh, opportunities to build out a pretty different type and uh, a pretty different suite of products, you know, things that are, are managing secrets, things that are doing analytics on data, things that are, um, you know, secret inputs and outputs for machine learning and AI, which is getting so popular. And so I, I don't think that there's like, uh, I don't think that there's like a super good parallel to be drawn um, to, to those traditional, uh, markets, which means that to, to build that robust community is to, to really sell people on, Hey, we have built out this really cool tool, these really cool suite of tools that we're continuing to add to that allow you to build things that don't exist yet. Um, and that's new, you know? And, and so I, I don't think it's going to be a big sell. Yeah. And I think so far you deliberately flew under the radar, right? You haven't gone out of your way to spread the word. Yeah, I think we're, we're, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the, the uh, attention cycle for people in crypto, uh, we're very aware, are like tight and they're not contracted, right? You can, you can take over the narrative for certain periods of time, not just once, you know, it doesn't need to be a flash in the pan thing, but people are fickle and, and Twitter, CT, like it, it all moves in cycles that are very, very fast. And at this stage, it doesn't really make sense for us because we don't have the toys. We don't have the SDK uh, out yet that we're going to have next year that, you know, when, when, you, you, when you are the flash in the pan, when you are the talk of the town, suddenly you get the devs being like, oh, let me play around with this. And they're like, whoa, wait, this solves a problem I have. Or, oh, whoa, wait, I just have a really good idea for a product to build on this. And that's when we think it'll be the most value add to, to not fly under the radar, as you say. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. When you get the attention of your audience, then you also want to be ready to offer something which they can actually, you know, play around with, just like you said. So let's jump into some of the more technical questions. And one would be, the NMC principle assumes the dealer node is in a secure environment without malicious tracking of secret OTM processes. A caveat is that compromising the user system bypasses the NMC network. To ensure a secure environment for the dealer node, would it be easier and more more performant to retrieve the data from the network, perform the computation locally, and then redistribute? Yeah, that, that's always a possibility. So you can you can use Nilion as a storage facility and, and then you just retrieve the secrets from it and you compute on them and then you maybe store the result back into it. That's that's perfectly doable. Um, the things, however, that you are compromising here is security not only once at the time you store the secrets, but also every time you retrieve them and compute and store them back. So kind of the, the attack vector is, is larger because it's not just once that you are vulnerable as a client in the initial storage of secrets, but it's every time you retrieve them and, and compute on them. Plus, 
um, you're missing on some use cases which are very interesting. So not all use cases are just about you computing on your secrets. Some of them are about you combining your secrets with those from other you know, users or organizations in a single computation. For example, uh, one, one thing that comes to mind would be um, a neural network. So there is um, some user who owns the neural network and stores the weights of that neural network as secrets in the network. And then you want to run that neural network. You don't learn the secrets without you know, exposing them or the secret or, or the weights um, and getting the results and reconstructing the results um, in, in the in the model that you're suggesting, that wouldn't be possible because some some node would have to see everything to in order to be able to run it in plain text. So there's a lot of use cases like this that are very interesting and that require uh, there's no other way of doing it that require the secrets to be computed in in, in secret form uh, without being revealed to any any user. Thank you. How does nil message compute? NMC compared to CK rollups. What are some of the significant differences between the two and what makes NMC a better choice? So um, I think it's it, it's an interesting question, but it's 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 not really kind of a fair question because at the end of the day, ZK rollup have a specific job, which is to scale the kind of main chain, the layer one, whatever it is. Um, using the succinctness of the ZK proof, which is to say they don't actually generally care about the privacy aspect of, of ZK. They're using it to compress uh, a whole block into uh, a smaller proof than the block itself, right? And then prove that the state change is valid. Um, NMC is working with, you know, the real data, the real underlying, and, you know, we're maintaining these... Uh, standards of, of privacy for the computations on the underlying. And then we're, we're not actually proving that um, on chain. So we're not going to create kind of uh, an NMC prover within the EVM or something like that. Um, it just, it doesn't, the, the, that kind of model doesn't actually work when there's no equivalent to the verifier when, um, when brought up as a metaphor between the two. But I will say is that there you know, are interesting parallels in what NMC can do that, that ZK can also do. And, and we think that, you know, they're not directly competing. They're, they're tools for different jobs. But um, a lot of the cool things that people are trying to build with ZK, we actually foresee as, as being, you know, maybe easier or, or more interesting to implement with NMC, um, mainly because of composability. Right, the thing that you get at the end of a, a zk proof is a is a proof, and that proof isn't super generally super composable with you know other people's proofs to do other things other than you know prove that everything is valid or invalid. Whereas the results that you get out of NMC are are actual data that you can you know do things with. I'm going to ask you maybe a esoteric question, but the way Nillion provides solutions which have never been provided before and is making other things better to be, to be run on Nillion, there must also be, maybe not yet, but in the future, there must also be certain parties who do not necessarily anticipate or appreciate Nillion actually becoming a reality. 
because I think it's probably also going to disrupt certain industries as a whole. So how do you navigate those potential risks? Hmm. You know, that's a, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think that I'll, I'll split it into two, which is um, kind of people outside of crypto. So, so we think that there's a lot of disruption to be done, you know, with um, authentication and, you know, disrupting sleeping giants like, like Okta or all these, these giant companies. Um, and not just authentication, but a large variety of, of large companies. But they're not looking at us generally, you know, like the, the we're, we're fundamentally, we're still building a crypto, you know, protocol here, like a crypto network. Uh, we're, we're, we're building in Web3. And uh, I think to a lot of the outside world, what we, all of us here, not just million, but all of us here are building is like, you know, at best an interesting curiosity and at worst, like kind of a joke. So that's their loss in that, in that regard. Um, you know, I think that we don't need to work too hard to sneak up on them. But then within, you know, within crypto, looking at other ZK, te- or ZK teams, looking at other privacy enhancing technologies, I, I understand the want for, for there to be kind of a very cutthroat narrative in this space. But I actually believe that there's so much room, you know, we're, we're at the beginning of this big kind of exponential curve for privacy enhancing technologies and, and, and how uh, all of these different technologies will change uh, a lot of how we operate on the internet. That I think there's a lot of room for, you know, anyone who's building in, in, in productive directions right now. We're not all fighting for, you know, pieces of a, of a finite pie. Like we're all building out this industry together. So I'm not so worried about that. Yeah, and we also have to be realistic, right? 99% of the auto projects are going to fail on their own without the interference of Nillion. So if you at the end of the day are the ones succeeding, then you probably play more of a passive role of, you know, some of the adoption of some of the other projects out there. Yeah, but, and even, but even if, you know, whether they fail or they succeed, like, I think at the end of the day, we're all kind of helping each other because even from like a hiring basis, right? The more people who are working on the kinds of, of heady math that, that Miguel works on, the more people who can contribute to Nillion in the future and who, who can really understand our network and can build really cool things working alongside products that are building on us. And so that's just a net good. Oh yeah, 100%. I, I fully agree. So the next question is, traditional applications depend on a multi-user access model and IoT and supply chain applications require multiple party access to modify object-related information. Is there a method to share information with several parties without a centralized server structure and define different access rights, read-only, modify, delete, on the NMC network? Yes, the, the answer is yes. So um, we, as, as I said before, we are building, um, um, you know, a native authentication layer uh, on, on NMC and stemming from it, we have the authorization layer. Um, and so the, the plan is to support initially access control lists where you can define the number of parties that are entitled to read, uh, you know, update, uh, modify, input from from you or maybe get access to results from computations that you perform on those inputs. Um, initially, just for computations that pertain to, to your inputs, 
then after that also for computations that involve other inputs, so other parties' inputs, which makes it more complex. And going, then going from access control lists into fully fledged role-based access control models, where you can have different, uh, instead of having to specify, um, you know, the, the, the identifiers of the nodes that are entitled or, or allows to reconstruct something, you work with, with roles and essentially say, this role is able to um, do this, 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 and that. And then you can decouple the, the assignment of, of nodes to roles from the assignment of permissions to roles. And, and that kind of uh, gives more, more power and functionality. But in essence, we're building something that is, should, should not be you know, a surprise to Web2 people. It's just building the same concepts, but on top of this decentralized infrastructure. Thank you. How do NMC nodes process data without exchanging messages? To your knowledge, are there other networks that can process data similarly to NMC? So it's by combining this one-time masking, this uh, primitive that has multiplicatively homomorphic properties. So it enables you to run products with without communication with a linear secret sharing. And in essence, we are, as I said it before, we're combining homomorphic encryption with SMPC. And there's a, st a special type of SMPC that is called MHC, stands for uh, multi-party homomorphic encryption. And there is there are some similarities and differences. So the idea here is that the dealers send encryptions of their inputs to the network. So that would be like our particles. Uh, so it's exactly the same at this stage. Then the nodes perform fully homomorphic encryption operations. So they locally operate on, on those um, encrypted inputs which is the same as for us. However, the complexity from fully homomorphic encryption is, is higher. So in, in our case, it's just linear, like, like in, in the operations that you, ha you would have done in plain text. In the case of FHE, you're paying a much more expensive price in terms of computational complexity. So that's a difference. And the other difference is that because you're using fully homomorphic encryption, you will have to deal with noise. So every time you operate on, on, on encrypted inputs, the noise will increase, and then you need this uh, bootstrapping protocol to re-encrypt with a different key and, and reduce the noise. And that bootstrapping protocol in MH, MHE is implemented again with communication. So from time to time, you need this communication to take place in order to reduce the noise. And that's a difference because we, we use, um, so OTM is a partially homomorphic encryption. It does not have noise that increases. There is no need for bootstrapping. And so you can run any number of multiplications without this problem. Um, and then in the end, MHC, what it does is to collaboratively run decryption. And that, that is more or less similar to what we do, although in our case, decryption is just a mere uh, reconstruction using Shamir secret sharing, which enables to use error correction codes, which is something very cool that you would have problems with in MHC, because you, you would you wouldn't be able to correct and and detect and, and and sorry detect and correct errors introduced by the different parties. So there are some similarities. There are things out there that are, that are they are looking for the same combinations of homomorphic properties with SMPC, as as in our case. And maybe another one worth mentioning would be um, garbled circuits, which where the concept is you take the the function that you want to implement, you garble it, you kind of create an encrypted version of it. Um, that takes that requires communication, but once you've created that, then you're able to run computations without communication. So 
again, the idea is to um, to try to minimize the, the communication, but um, but as uh, you know, as I would argue, um, you, you have always some communication in those standard solutions because in the garbled circuits, once you have to create this garbled circuit, which requires communication, albeit uh, with a constant number of rounds usually. And with MHE, you have to do the bootstrapping, which requires communication, and then you have to do the reconstruction. Thank you very much, Miguel. And just to double check uh, with you to Tristan and Miguel, we do have about 30 minutes left, right? Sure, that works for me. Yes. Okay, perfect. So because now we are going to start with the more and more deeper questions. So the next one is NMC performs continuous computations on all stored information. However, unsynced, part, unsynced particles in offline NMC nodes are invalid. Is there a method for NMC nodes to recognize the change in state and update data? If not, is this increasing proportion of invalid data problematic for the node network? Um, very good question. So yes, that can happen. So you can you can run a node and then for some reason you just go offline and then we, when you switch back online, um, you're out of sync. So the other nodes have continued doing computations without you and you you need to be um, you know, you need to be updated. So there are in general protocols for joining the network as a node, leaving the network when you have to, or recovering from such a failure uh, that you that that we've described. Um, the main goal is to preserve the consistency of the data that the different nodes have. The particles are are very easy because from the same input, all of the particles are the same. But then there are shares protecting those particles which are different. So the share that I hold uh, from the same blinding factor would be different than the one that Tristan holds, for example. And there are protocols that um, can address these situations and can regenerate, reshuffle the shares and kind of put this new node or the node that comes back from, from an offline state, um, um, you know, put, put him uh, up to date. However, they, they require communication. So there is an intrinsic, intrinsic cost to, to those protocols. Luckily, however, um, the network doesn't need to stop working or doesn't stop working because that happens, because there is this tolerance um, against a certain number of nodes going offline, whether it's on purpose or, or because they just uh, had some failure. So, and that, that um, proportion of nodes that can go offline without affecting the functioning of the network, it's a, it's a parameter that you can, you can set up. The usual, usual value, but not the only one, is um, less than one third of the nodes. So up to one third of the nodes can go offline for a while and the network can still perform computations. And when they come back, there is enough time for them to catch up, to run this protocol and catch up again with the rest of the nodes without causing any major disruption. Um, if you if you foresee this problem to happen more often, then you can you know fine tune this parameter and put it in a different position. There is um, there is um, consequences to that, but in essence, we the, the, I think the message is that we don't need to be hyper reactive to this situation. Oh my God, a node is down, um, stop completely the network. It's not like that. So the network can, can can still continue to operate and can recover from this situation, although with uh, with some communication cost. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And again, for our listeners, even if you are listening to the recording later on, 
please make sure to leave a retweet and the like on our Spaces event. And I very much appreciate everyone's support. Now, the next question is going to be slightly long, so please bear with me. Knowing that years of public scrutiny and testing has been required in the past in order to identify and publish new encryption algorithms, for example, NIST requested proposals for IES in 1997. It was approved and published as a standard in 2001. Can you outline if and when Nillian is looking to be compliant with NIST and what those steps could look like for a new cryptographic primitive like NMC? In the case of NMC, um, there's something that is interesting because, because it's ITS, it's actually easier to, to prove that is correct and um, because you don't rely on, on cryptographic assumptions. Um, for example, if, 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 we, if we did rely on some cryptographic assumptions that it not, it's not normal, it's not accepted, it's not widely used, then we would be in trouble because then you would have to take a lot of time to convince the community there would have to be enough evidence to prove that this, um, this hardness assumption is, is really hard when, because there's no mathematic that allows you to essentially prove that one hardness assumption holds, that, then that one problem is, is hard. Usually the community um, gets to that conclusion after using that problem a lot of times and figuring out that it's actually very hard to solve. Um, but luckily this, this is not the case because it's ITS technology. It means that you have very sound proofs, um, security proofs around the protocol. And a core piece of it is linear secret sharing, which is well understood and, and proven in the literature. The other piece of it is one-time masking, which is no different from uh, one-time padding, which is also a very old technology. And the only difference is that instead of doing uh, addition modulo two, this is a multiplication um, against a group element um, um, you know, in a multiplicative group, but essentially it's the same ITS uh, concept of padding one message uh, with something that is uniformly random and independent to, to create something that is uniformly random and independent. So we don't foresee a long way till the community um, accepts the, the technology. Um, and, and we definitely um, are happy be, be because of that. Because uh, as I said before, if we did rely on some new cryptographic uh, assumption, then, then we would be definitely in trouble. And how do you see that context with the broader adoption by commercial entities or governments? So they already know about ITS. So um, I've been an advisor to RUSI, which is um, probably one of the oldest um, cybersecurity think tanks in the UK. And I've talked to many um, um, regulators in, in, the finance, uh, in, in the finance industry. So with um, FCA, with FINMA, with FinCEN, and they usually are very open to the concept of ITS. They're not so open to the concept of encryption um, based on cryptographic assumptions or hashing, because it, it does imply that you're leaking some information. If you have enough computational power, you can eventually get to the, to the message. And so if I'm sending you an encrypted message or a hashed message, I'm leaking some information. And they're really, very, really cautious about that. But as soon as they get the concept of ITS and the fact that it does not leak information, 
then uh, they're much more open. That doesn't mean, of course, that we have received any official confirmation that that's going to be okay. But I think if there's any flavor of cryptography they would be comfortable with, it would be ITS. That's great to hear. Thank you. Will Nillian be open source? And if so, do you see open source as something only having positive effects on development or could this also pose a risk to Nillian? Um, yeah, I mean, we think the open source, you know, community and ethos is, is great and, and super important for us and, you know, what we're building. So uh, we're working, you know, behind closed doors right now. And we think that that's uh, an important business decision from a kind of security perspective and also just for, for, for our company at, at this stage. But the plan is always to have the source, you know, be open so that especially with any kind of privacy and security oriented, security -oriented project, privacy via obfuscation is not real security, right? The security via obfuscation is, 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 uh, is not a great way to, to, to work. And so um, definitely as we get closer to mainnet, uh, we, we want to have our, our code out there so that people can look at it. But even as we, uh, before we get there, you know, we're already working on, you know, packages and libraries that we're, we're building for ourselves that we think could be great in the um, crypto community and, and, and planning to open source that, uh, you know, sooner. Thank you. Since it's essential to know how secure the code, excuse me, since it's essential to know how secure the code is that implements cryptographic algorithms into smart contracts, can you share how Nillian is looking into securing auditing the code in the future? Sorry, yeah. Yeah, um, so it, it is a very important problem to to be aware of the fact that you may have on paper some maths that are sound and they are well proven, but then you turn out and implement something that is, is different. Um, so we do have an in-house process to, to make sure that that's not the case. And it's usually about creating a, a gradient of implementations that go from the most theoretical one very close to the maths on the paper to something that is more realistic so adding different non-functional requirements and making the implementation more realistic but without losing that traceability back to the original one so that we're able to test not only the functionality so not only functional testing that it does what it says on the team but actually that this the, the security of the protocol is preserved um, so that's number one. Number two, we also do tests, well, more, more standard statistical tests, because it's ITS, it has to be independently uniform, certain variables in the program. And so we run um, tests against, uh, against those variables to make sure that that's the case and that they're not leaking information for, for some reason or another. So that's kind of the, the infrastructure answer to, to your question. But now there's another one, um, which is what about the NADA programs that are implemented on top of it? Now, NADA will compile into um, arithmetic circuits that run on infrastructure. That means that from another, from the NADA kind of um, level of abstraction, you won't be able to, to mess around with, uh, with infrastructure. But you will be able to do stuff like leaking, um, maybe on purpose, some inputs. So there must be a process around the creation and publishing of NADA programs. Um, it cannot be that, you know, I create a NADA program, 
that handles important sensitive information and it just goes live into the network and suddenly it's leaking all uh, secrets from from you know users um and and that ha that's something that has to do with governance with the process of creating approving and launching these programs which is something that uh, we're still working on thank you very much is there special training that new developers joining the team have to undergo and what trades qualifications is Nillian looking for when hiring new developers to ensure top quality code? Um, I think that, you know, to answer the second question first, I think that we're at a stage now where, and by the way, another shill, we are hiring, um, you know, we're doing another big hiring push. So if you guys are developers uh, and you're interested in what we're building, please uh, take a look at our jobs page. But um, we've gotten very lucky. Um, we have a very kind of, uh, our team, our initial team was, you know, had a very high bar and everyone we've brought in has, has been able to, you know, work honestly at a, at a much faster pace than, than we had um, projected for our roadmap, which has been amazing. And I think that the, a lot of the focus um, to, to get there has just been on, on, you know, making sure that we have stringent requirements that people um, know how to translate the, the, the kind of, of work that we're, the kind of base that we're starting from, the kind of spec that we're starting from, which is pretty mathematical, um, uh, you know, Miguel's cryptography into, as we were discussing before, you know, good, solid, secure working code. So I don't think that at this stage, there's any like, you know, one thing, one trait that we're looking for to make sure that, um, to make sure that our engineers are, our incoming engineers are prepared. It's, it's just about, you know, making sure we get the, the right people, people who, who want to work and who have the capability, um, and, and, you know, screening them. Also, maybe I have to mention that, um, so running this process behind this process, we have Conrad Whelan and because he's such a, you know, important person, um, he's been able to attract with his uh, magnetic personality, a lot of, a lot of people interested. I think in the last round of, of hiring, we, we kind of interviewed a thousand hired only, um, 15. So you do have to kind of be good at what you're doing. Um, be passionate about it. I think that's something that we, uh, value very much. And as Tristan said, uh, if, if you do have some experience with, with implementing maths or physics or some complex um, algorithm, that is always a plus because it means that you will be able to bridge the gap existing between uh, an implementation and uh, requirements that are given in, in that form. But that's not a, a necessary requirement because we do have people who are experts in doing that. So they can just feed you those requirements into something that you can you can understand uh but yeah i think um be excited you know being excited about the project and being top quality uh, developer are, are two key requirements thank you and now the next couple of questions are all being asked by the community itself so um the credit goes to them and i'm going to keep asking the community questions until we run out of time but just to give you an idea of the, the amount of questions which we have, it has been over 100. So we are definitely not going to be able to go through all of them. But our team has picked the best ones and the most interesting ones. 
And the very first one is, where do you think the Nillian technology can have the biggest impact outside of blockchain in the long run? I mean, I think everyone uh, on the team, and I'll let Miguel speak for, for, for himself on this one. I think everyone on the team, everyone who he hears about the technology has their own opinions on this question. Um, I know we have a lot of people on the team. Um, you know, Slava was announced recently as our, our CBO, and, and he really likes the 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 potential for, um, you know, what it can unlock with data silos in the medical field. Um, and, and, and I think that that's a, a relatively common one. Um, specifically, I know there's uh, some people on the team who are really excited about its usage in um, genomics, you know, like uh, genes research. Um, so I, I, it, I think almost because what we have, we're building here is, is, you know, if you, if you take just the UVP, just the value proposition of unlocking data silos to be able to like use data that otherwise can't be used, that's relevant to, you know, almost any, you know, very impactful industry. And so it's more about like where people are coming from individually, where they're like, are you a content marketer? Then you're like, oh man, wow, I wish I had like a CRM in, in, uh, in Web3 so that I could like talk to the people who own my NFTs without having to ask them for all this personal information that nobody wants to share in crypto for good reason, right? But then if you're coming from the medical field or you're coming from, you know, the finance field or the government, you're going to have like, wow, that solves problems in my own life. So it, it's more about, you know, it's a mirror to the, to the person who's learning about the tech and getting excited about it. Yeah, my personal take on that would be um, to think about you know, human society, we, we have these two main elements. On the one hand, there's a side of us that competes against each other, but then there's this other side that collaborates. And if you think about in terms of architecture, the client-server architecture that predominates in the internet has been serving mostly the competing side of it because it's about storing data in silos and you have your servers and you have your data and your customers, and that's about it. But there is so much potential in, in the other aspect of our, our human nature, which is the collaboration. And we haven't seen that uh, because mainly collaborating right now means that you have to share that data with the other organization, something that you cannot do oftentimes because it's either forbidden by regulations or because it would reveal some, you know, information, key information to, to the competitors. So I think we, we are about to see a lot of new kind of um, possibilities in the collaboration space, be it in a supply chain where different companies involved are able to coordinate in a better way without leaking some sensitive information to each other, or maybe with, uh, you know, competitors in a space to better comply with regulations, to better manage their risk. Um, I think it's, it's even hard to start thinking about all the potential applications that collaboration could bring, but I think it's going to be huge. Thank you. Are there any drawbacks or limitations to your technology? So, um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it, 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 it's always a question of trade-offs. And the question that you need to ask when you're talking about trade-offs is in comparison to what, right? Um, when we make comparisons to SMPC, for example, um, for, you know, almost all of those comparisons, uh, we're, we're, we're really, we're looking very good right there for, for some, uh, SMPC calculations, things can be like, 
much, much, like, you know, billions of times slower than an MC if you get complex circuits and, and they have to do a lot of communication and in a big network and whatever. Um, if you're comparison, comparing, which I think a lot of people who are listening to this maybe are, to blockchains, I think it's there. there is a lot of just trade-offs of like, yeah, well, we're, we're fundamentally, we're not a blockchain, right? So the trade-off is that we're not a blockchain and we don't do some of the same things that a blockchain does, like keep a ledger uh, and care about order. And, and what we get in return is uh, a lot of the cool stuff that we, we do get to do. So I, I, I don't like to think about it as like, oh, is there, you know, some Achilles heel to the technology? It's, it's more about like, we're in the trade-off space of all of all of the technology that does like similar or adjacent things. Do we sit um, and and you know have we have we gained on the on the net? Have we have we come out ahead um, in a lot of different places while giving away a little? And I think that that is is true. Um, but if I had to you know point something out, I think something that we took from blockchains that um, you know looking at other cryptographic solutions uh isn't isn't necessarily like it is a trade-off is is the trade-off of byzantine fault tolerance right so so we'll look at blockchains and we say wow you're mitigating trust across you know this large network but at the end of the day right that also means that there is some trust that's that's mitigated there so you need to to be careful about that threshold that miguel talked about earlier of you know who how many people are there in that computation and, um, you know, who are they or how are they financially aligned? Thankfully, you know, the crypto uh, and, and the blockchain space has come up with a really great tool, a really great lever to be able to align people's incentives closer together in the form of, you know, tokens, token economies and, and all of the policing strategies that, that go with that. Thank you. ITS is claimed to be secure against computationally unbounded adversaries, quantum attacks. Are there any other vulnerable areas that might create high risk to the concept with technology advancement? Yes. So I think we, we have to understand that the ITS, so particles are okay because they, they are ITS, they can be published publicly on a blockchain or whatever you want, they're completely safe. But they are protected by what we call blinding factors. And blinding factors are distributed in shared form. So with, with Shamir secret sharing on some other linear secret sharing um, schema. And that's, that schema is again ITS, but it's threshold based, which means that if you don't cross that threshold, meaning the number of nodes colluding and exchanging those shares that they have from a blinding factor is below a given threshold, then you still are with ITS protection. So there's nothing they can do. There's nothing they can obtain from those shared secrets um, in an ITS way. So even if they have quantum computers from the future or whatnot, but if they do cross that threshold, um, then they would be able to reconstruct the secrets. And there has to be a threshold because you can, you have to be eventually able to reconstruct your secrets yourself or the result from a computation. So there's no other way around it. So there is this notion of a threshold in the network that determines the maximum number or, or the minimum number of nodes colluding that would be able to obtain a secret. 
And because of that, you need to be very careful in, in your path towards decentralization. So you have to start by operating with some nodes that are trusted. And then as the network grows and the risk for civil attacks um, reduces, then you can kind of lower down those uh, requirements for joining the network. And there's a, there's some some you know more steps along those path, this path, but in the end you would get to to the decentralized, fully decentralized network, which is the holy grail. But um, as I said, because of that threshold, you need to be careful along that way, along that path. Thank you, Miguel. How secure is OTM itself compared to homomorphic encryption? And can NMC be applied by using homomorphic encryption coupled with LSS instead of OTM? So OTM is ITS, which implies uh, quantum security. Most homomorphic, fully homomorphic encryption schemes are based on lattices, um, which are not known to be um, um, you know, subject to quantum attacks. It doesn't mean that they're safe, but it's just that we haven't found any any way to attack them yet. So, but but they're not ITS. So that that's a difference. There is a cryptographic assumption behind um, um, FHE, which is seems to be quantum safe, but it's an assumption nevertheless. Whereas with um, OTM and other ITS primitives, there is no cryptographic assumption, meaning you're not basing your, um, your, your protocol on the hardness of any mathematical problem at all, which make, makes it, as I said before, easier to prove. And, and also it makes it um, quantum resistant for sure. Um, so that would be one difference. Regarding the second part of the question, um, yes, in principle, you could do that. You could build um, uh, NMC using L LSS, so Linear Secret Sharing Plus, um, fully homomorphic encryption. That's what I called before the multi-party homomorphic encryption um, kind of paradigm. Um, the problem, however, would be the bootstrapping that does require communication. So you have to implement the bootstrapping protocol that in, in FHE usually runs um, locally in the nodes, but now you have to implement it because the keys are distributed and, and are secret shared. Now you have to dis implement it as a protocol involving some communication. And then you also have to implement the reconstruction of the encryption element um, um, output using um, a protocol. That being said, um, NMC is not just ITS. So we, we see NMC really as an umbrella of different solutions, um, touching different points in the trade-off space between security and speed. One example would be um, conditional statements. So if you have a program with conditional statements, if then, so if A is greater than B, that's probably not, you know, it's not the best way to, to the best example to use ITS, ITS for, because ITS deletes also the order, the partial order information between those two. So it's probably a better idea to use um, NMC in that context in combination with order preserving encryption. So we do see that whole umbrella of technologies going from pure ITS, which is the current solution that we're presenting, but we're also already um, working towards incor incorporating other technologies, fully homomorphic encryption, yes, and order preserving encryption as well into, into the whole um, uh, suite of solutions. Thank you very much. Now, the next one, again, is a slightly longer question. 
Um, I'm going to go through the entire question, which is made up of multiple questions, and then you can um, go back and repeat if necessary. So the full question is, how do you determine the ideal T plus one number of shares required for LSS to construct the blinding factor where T means you construct nothing? Is it determined by how many nodes are on the network or how many nodes assigned to a computation? Or does it vary by the size and resources required for the computation itself? And is the minimum required number for T plus one one-third of the nodes in, in the network to keep it secure. So maybe there, there's a part of this question that has to do with uh, the, the economics of an attack. Uh, so I will, I will leave, I'll leave that part to Tristan and maybe I'll, I'll start with a more technical one. So imagine you have a scale, a linear scale. On the one hand, you have a type of attack which is about tampering with the result from a computation. So it's altering changing the result from a computation. On the other hand, you have a different attack, which is about gaining information from the secrets. So this threshold will move between those two. And if you move it closer to one type of attack, you will be you know, more resistant against that attack, but at the cost of being more, more vulnerable against the other one. One third happens to be a very interesting point at which you're, bo you're both resistant to both attacks with one uh, sorry with less than one third of the nodes being bad actors so that one that one third of the nodes can do whatever they want uh, with both attacks and they won't be able to succeed if you move it to to one you know beyond that point to one side then the proportion of nodes in one attack will increase at the cost of the other one decreases and so on um so that's number one number two it's a ratio it does not depend on whether you have 10 or more, except for the economic consequences of that, which Tristan will probably touch on. But essentially, mathematically speaking, it's a ratio of the total number of nodes to the number of nodes that you allow to be bad actors. Um, maybe, Tristan, now you can chime in if you want. Yeah, so, I mean, this gets into a uh, kind of philosophical discussion that is, is wider than just our network, and it's about kind of these decentralized networks we're building in general, right? Which is who is in charge of the security of the network really at the end of the day we could you know, nmc is just a protocol it's just math right and we could make a completely permissionless protocol on day one by saying well anybody can spin up a node and they can stake whatever they want you know financial other assets their reputation whatever they want and anyone every user gets to decide what nodes they want to use and, and to put in a computation together uh, and those nodes will make a pool and, and, you know, do that user's work. The problem is there's a lot of implications, not least, least of which is what Miguel was talking about of the security implications of, well, what if, you know, a user or a product is um, malicious or just ignorant and they don't realize that it's very important and they end up picking a bunch of... <laughs> very bad nodes, or they pick a bunch of nodes that are actually owned by one bad actor, um, suddenly it's not the protocol's fault, right? It's not the cryptography's fault that somebody, some, that somebody has decided to mess with the underlying trust assumptions, uh, but yet, you know, that user's secrets have been leaked. Um, and that's, that's never what we want, right? We, we want to make sure that anybody who, who uses the Nillion network 
is, you know, has a promise of, of, of the highest security. And so the reason we, we don't do that, even though narratively that's very interesting, right? Because then you get to look at a lot of these other um, projects in the crypto space who say, oh, we're, you know, fully permissionless and, and you know, the security is, is up to the underlying. Um, I'm not going to name names, but <laughs> they, 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 um, they get to, like, claim a level of decentralization and permissionlessness that is very attractive in this space, but it's at the cost of potentially kind of throwing some actual users and actual people building on the product under the bus in, in our mind. And so to, to, to tie that into what we were talking about, the, the same, the, the protocol, the math that, you know, is there doesn't have any opinions on how many nodes should be on the network or even what that threshold should be. Although there's like, you know, a nice mathematical property of the one third. Um, but when we start looking at, okay, well, how much financial, you know, stake do people have at stake when they become nodes, you can start to calculate the amount of, of uh, money that is the securing any individual secret based off of the size of the network, based off of that stake. And, you know, based off of if you're using kind of reputation games, like restaking, like a lot of these other things, based off of the reputation of people in the network, where like is, you know, somebody who's with no name and, and nothing to lose other than their finances, less likely to be a bad actor or more likely to be a bad actor than somebody who is, you know, has a very public presence and, and you know, a lot of, of um, scrutiny in what they do. And so if you can start taking all of those factors and putting them into a model, which is a lot of what, uh, you know, my team does, that's when you start to build out the, the parameters around, okay, so what does this network actually need to look like and what do we need to set as the defaults so that, you know, nobody's getting thrown under the bus. Thank you very much, Tristan, and thank you, Mika. And just some numbers um, about the AMA. You know, despite this being slightly early, it's slightly outside of our regular AMA schedule, we consistently had almost 200 people listening in live, which is way beyond uh, the average which we normally have for the live events. So I assume the, the listeners to the recording are also going to blow up uh, exponentially. And I want to be respectful of your time. Tristan, Miguel, you, you've spent now 90 minutes with us, and it has been an absolutely amazing AMA. And I hope you guys enjoyed it just as much as I did and as the audience did. And we have questions lined up for at least five, five more AMAs. So I would be very excited uh, to have another one with you uh, anytime in the future. It has been really a pleasure and absolutely exciting to listen to you. Yeah, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been really a pleasure. Thank you, guys. And thank you, uh, VVV community, for listening in. Your questions have been super good. And I can tell that our guests had a good time uh, answering some of them. So thank you again for your involvement, for your engagement. And thank you, Tristan Miguel, for joining us today. And I wish everyone a great day and a nice evening, depending on your time zone. And I hope to see you guys around. And I hope that we can sometimes in the future arrange another AMA with Nillian. Thank you again. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This recording has been prepared and made available by VVV. It is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation to sell, buy or subscribe to any financial instruments or products. 
VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future price of any instrument mentioned in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published, but VVV, along with its directors, officers and employees, does not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of this information as it may change in the future without notice. Any decision made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not based on the information and opinions provided by VVV.